Yeah, what's up? This is Don Will. And this is Vaughn P. We are Tanya Morgan. Yeah, yeah. And you are checking out the Cabbages podcast, and you can listen to it anywhere you get podcasts from. Anywhere, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Pandora, tune in. You can make your own network. Whatever you do, just listen to the damn Cabbages hip-hop podcast. This is season three. Suarez. I'm a music journalist and critic, and I write a twice-weekly hip-hop newsletter called Cabbages, which you can subscribe to for free at cabbageshiphop.com. Joining me as always is my high-as-a-kite co-host, music industry insider Jeffrey Lachlan. It's season three of the podcast, and we're still watching stoner comedies. Yep. And today, we'll be talking about Inherent Vice, the 2014 private detective period piece that Entertainment Weekly called, quote, half-baked Raymond Chandler. Whoa, harsh, dude. We'll get into the show in just a minute, but please, if you're listening and you haven't done this already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you could rate the show five stars, that would be even better. If you could do all that and write a review, well, Jeff will personally solve your next missing persons case. Thank you. Yeah, you, you did. I mean, I picked a good movie, Gary. Uh, you know, even a stopped clock uh, gets gives the right time no, twice totally. a day. I'm not going to like jump around and act like I haven't picked some stinkers. You we're, did pick Bong Water. We're, we're, listen, we're both responsible for some problems hmm? this season. I'm not a perfect but person. I, I nailed this one. No, you, you I picked... don't know how they're going to feel about it, but I had a, a delightful time rewatching this wild weird movie yeah you, you picked a film that I, I think i had had up until this point my uh my pick for my favorite film that we watched this season and now it kind of pulls that into question although i have a lot a lot of questions about this movie specifically okay, same and i don't want to get into them now because i really want you know i want the dudes here to talk no, we've got great guests for this yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we don't want to we don't want to preempt so, that part of the conversation one thing though so we've been doing stoner comedies and most of them aren't that visually stimulating mm-hmm. sure they're made for mass marketing for an easy audience so it's a lot of times they're very cheaply made mm-hmm. smiley face beach bum and smiley face kind of being a you know exceptions to that rule yeah but like beach bum is more expansive you know right. but smiley face is a very small film in that respect yeah. right so that was like a shoestring budget that they but it looks kind of realistic it doesn't look like a typical stoner comedy movie yeah not like how grow house looks or uh howard and kumar right exactly uh or far out man for that or far out man for that yeah exactly where there's those that's sort of the shoestring budget we're doing this as a labor of love sort of thing and this like looks and feels incredible Mm -hmm. whether or not you like the the zaniness (laughs) of this film i'll you know, I will wait to get into like the plotlessness. Oh, of course. But, but like you, you're talking about the technical the greatness of, look, of a the, the Paul Thomas Anderson. Of this film is just off the charts for me. It is a gorgeous film. He's made amazing movies. Like so, crushed it. So I think that that. So yeah, I'm gonna give you credit for this one. I don't think it it undoes all the damage, but I'm gonna say uh, you definitely put in there a real contender for probably the potentially the the best movie. I just we watched think we the, that we watched win. this season, and we definitely needed a win. Yeah. Uh, you definitely needed a win. I need clear. okay, easy, easy. We're I'm not saying. gonna sit around and criticize a sunny day here. Yeah, okay, All right? No, it's a lovely day. I'm so happy to introduce our guest for today's show. Joining us now is Tanya Morgan. The hip-hop duo of Don Will and Von P have been making music together for nearly two decades now. 
They returned this summer with an excellent new album called Don and Vaughn, available on Bandcamp and wherever music is streamed or sold. Hello and welcome to you both. Hey, hey, hey. What's good? Don, you are our first uh, recurring guest. Oh, True. shit, I'm the first? You first are the time. first time that we ever brought somebody back on. It's you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I wish we had like an applause, like, hey, all right. <laughs> uh, we can fix it in post. Fill in fix some applause post. after you say that. And that way, you know, <laughs> you know I think, yeah, yeah. great. You know, we need our like Baba Booey soundboard basically for this. <laughs> and, and this time I brought my friend along, you know, exactly. <laughs> so, so Vaughn, obviously, welcome to uh, to this show. Now, the last time with John, when we had you on, we were talking about the uh, the movie uh, Tom and Jerry, uh, which was a, a painful watch, I think, all a, around. A never ending <laughs> schlock fest. <laughs> we still refer to that quite a bit on on various episodes because we refer we all... to it as the saddest episode we ever recorded <laughs> like you're I'm... a funny dude and we brought you in and we're like why is everything so bad yeah. <laughs> why is everything the worst couldn't we couldn't make it funny we could not make that I, movie. I, it was so bad. i have to tell y'all the truth i i just didn't um I wasn't big on Tom and Jerry. So when I watched the new movie, I didn't really have anything to reference it to. Mm -hmm. So I actually enjoyed it. I was like, oh, that was cute. Okay. Oh, and no. then I spoke to Don and Don was like, yo, that was terrible. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't have anything to, to compare it to. But I mean, I just know that Tom and Jerry fight. I don't know what I was watching other than Tom and Jerry as a kid, but mm -hmm. I just, I just like, I didn't know how much better it used to be, I guess, because Dom was telling me how bad it was, and I totally didn't. Yeah, you I know, I like, catch that. <laughs> this is this is basically like if you found out about found out about Nas on King's Disease Two and never heard Illmatic. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I like I like King's Disease Two. Maybe I maybe I just have bad taste. <laughs> do you like it better than Illmatic? That's what I'm. Do you like it? <laughs> no. No, but, no, but the thing is, it's not, it's not a horrible film. It's just, no. well, it is, it's just, if I just have such an emotional attachment to the, to the franchise, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe see that that's my thing because I don't, maybe that's why I'm like, Oh, it was cool. I liked it. <laughs> I would say it's probably the equivalent of the first Nas album you hear being a uh, streets disciple disc two. <laughs> okay. Now oh, that Ah, oh, we're well, watching Tom and Jerry. Sorry. <laughs> see, now, now that one makes more sense to me. I can see that was more specific <laughs> for me. That's I think, there we go. We we found the right metaphor for it. Um, this yeah. Speaking of being in a total state of confusion, let's talk about this film. There there are no reference points for this. Nobody's childhood is ruined by this, unless you were a child of the Manson family. <laughs> this is a very different movie but before we get into the details of this i just wanted to get a sense of our guests uh experience with paul thomas anderson movies in the first place so you guys fans of of his work have you seen other other pictures of his uh prior to this here's a question what else did he do boogie um, he, Nights, did, he did boogie magnolia. Nights. he did yeah. magnolia uh, yeah. oh. love uh there will be blood They're the yeah. master and uh, Hard Eight was the first one we did. I, I just saw There Will Be Blood this, I saw it during the pandemic, really liked it. Me and my wife, we both love Punch Drunk Love. Mm. Um, Excellent. I saw Boogie Nights a, a million times. Mm. I I need to watch Magnolia again, because I, I know I saw that and liked it, but I don't remember it. I just know I saw it years ago. And to be honest, I haven't seen like anything newer. I think the newest thing I've seen is Inherent Vice. And from there, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I no longer I know what's going her. on. I, I'm a huge fan of this of this human's work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've seen pretty much everything, right, Jeff? I have. So, I, I, so yeah, I'm, so Parstrong Love is amazing to me. That's like my favorite. It's wonderful. I, yeah, yeah, I've seen Punch, Punch Drunk Love and Boogie Nights. I'm looking at the rest of this, this yeah. filmography and I'm like, oh, I guess I have other movies and to I really, watch. I, I did like There Will Be Blood, but like I said, I just, I just saw it for the first time. So I don't have like much on it, really. Like I, I would need to see it even more. From my experience, they definitely benefit from the rewatches. Like I saw Magnolia years ago and I've rewatched it now twice in the past 10 years and it reveals so much more you learn so much more from it and then i think boogie nights is the same way like rewatching boogie nights in the past couple of years it's like it's actually a better film than i remembered it to be because you just 
you one you realize how many people are in that film who are great actors and actresses who went on to do even bigger things like just this tremendously well done ensemble cast you know yeah so I think there's a benefit to that. And I have a funny feeling that Inherit Vice is a film that I'm probably going to need to watch again in order to understand just what the fuck I watched. So uh, how many times have you seen it? This is my first time. I had actually held off on seeing this. And I have a, a very good reason why I held uh-huh. off on seeing this. And that's because I tried to read the 2009 Thomas Pynchon novel, Inherent Vice, oh. that this is based on. Mm-hmm. like prior to this movie coming out i tried to read this book and it was one of the most difficult th- things i ever i think i've ever tried to read and i gave up probably about halfway through well, i watched an interview about the movie because i wanted to know what what made him want to make this a movie mm-hmm. and i just i didn't get to read it uh watch it yet but i'm interested because you know I, like when I watch the um when I watch the different like uh YouTube I love watching like the, the the YouTube breakdowns of different movies and things like that and everyone I watched they were like yeah so I was confused too how about you and I was like good I wasn't alone you are not alone said, yeah, the book yeah. is confusing too so I'm like so if everybody is confused how did this get made and I mean that in the most respectful way totally <laughs> I, okay I, go ahead let me correct me if I'm wrong I feel like the whole it was kind of confusing on purpose. It was like purposefully obtuse. So like it had a lot of different plots of storylines going on and mm-hmm. like it played with um, like present tense, past tense, like time and space in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. the book did that too. And the film is a really good adaptation of the book because it mirrors that pretty well. Yeah. I, like that's what I heard. Yeah. Right. It's like, apart from like some, like some subplots that got excised. And I think the use of uh, the sort of character as like a semi-omniscient narrator, it's a pretty faithful adaption, d- adaptation. I was gonna say, you know what it reminded me of, and I could be totally off, and this could be telling how confused I was. Oh. <laughs> but it it almost reminded me like it was supposed to be almost like a serious Big Lebowski, almost. It's 100% what it was, like a real life Big yeah. Lebowski. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I was like, okay, he's starting off to do one thing, and then he stumbles onto this thing, and stumbles onto that thing, and stumbles onto this thing. There's a and lot I was of- like, there's piles of homage in this film. There's homage okay. on top of homage on top of homage on top of homage. So, so I wasn't totally off. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I think there are actual points where you're like, that's exactly what the dude would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a very dude-ish human. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, I think you like you swap out like nihilists and Nazis and you've got some, some parallels right there Pretty between much. those two movies. But but there's this threat of like seriousness throughout both of these movies where like something serious is going to happen. And in neither case, I mean, you know, you can make the argument that someone's toe got cut off or, you know, some people were in danger. But in general, neither really pays off with the actual danger. You know what I mean? Like the, the moment where everything is going to be awful doesn't truly come in this film at all, especially. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the thing that the thing about this is, and, and you, you were touching on this before, is like there is a lot of homage. And I kind of see this as sort of like a mashup of a few different genre types in film. Right. One is sort of a like uh, detective or private investigator that neo-noir. There's no shortage of femme fatales, red herring, shady characters. It reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Paul Newman movie from 1975, The Drowning Pool. Um, and it's based on a Ross McDonald novel, like a totally like hard boiled sort of like private detective California novel. Um, and it's, it, I read the book and I've seen the film and like, I immediately thought of this because it's basically this guy who kind of gets, ends up in these, these worlds of California that he's not, has no business being in trying to solve this mm-hmm. case. And he ends up like being accused of things and he ends up like falling down the wrong holes and like finding friends and enemies in bizarre places and it's like i saw saw that so that's one of the things i saw then the other thing is this is this is and we've been spending this season of the podcast watching stoner comedies and this was like very much to me a stoner comedy in at least in an ethos level you have this kind of bumbling protagonist he's playing yeah. comic moments and comedy beats he's like a hippie yeah. yeah and then finally you have this sort of art house sheen over the top of it yeah mm-hmm. for me 
it poses somewhat of a challenge to the brain to know how I'm supposed to react. Earlier, someone asked, and forgive me for not, I'm, I'm pretty stoned, forgive me for not knowing who it was, <laughs> asked like how many times we'd see in the movie. Mm. This, is, this was my second run through. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge benefit having seen it once before. Really? Okay. Not because any plot things ever get resolved, uh, but mostly because you knew what weight was assigned to what. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, it does make so sense. So you like come into this a second time, you're like, oh yeah, remember, by the way, none of this shit really matters other than to advance our understanding of why this dude is wandering into this place. So I this is, this is my... I tried to watch it before. I, I realized this as I was watching it. I watched half, like the first 30 minutes or so on a plane and I fell asleep. Okay. Um, I was sitting next to you when you were watching it and that's what made <laughs> me watch it the first time. Because of uh, jo- Joanna Newsom and I just saw the yeah. way she was being utilized in the movie. A wild inclusion. Yeah, yeah and like just- That she's I, basically reading the book to you. Yes, yeah, I, I love stuff like that. That made like to be honest, there are movies that I watch and I won't even follow the plot. I'll just be following the devices in which the way the story is told, the way it's shot, mm-hmm. the way it looks. Because mm-hmm. I just I don't know how to stop being technical. <laughs> this so is the I, perfect I movie for it this. though. Yeah, I've seen this without actually seeing it. I just like admired mm-hmm. what was being done on a technical and level. That's almost entirely so, the way to watch it. So that's the thing, like, for me, like, for me, it was hard to follow, mainly because it had all the things that I would like about a movie, yeah. but it was just like, like the, 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 the point you made about, I don't know if I should laugh at this or like, am I like, what's yeah, yeah. that, that in effect kind of was like off-putting and then just the obtuseness of it all. And then it was a, like a two and a half hour movie, which for me felt like a week. <laughs> like, like I just oh oh and the other part the other part I forgot to add this part I watched it on Prime and for some reason on my commercial. Prime it has commercial breaks oh, oh no I think that's the only way it's reality being injected this like it just kept weird, like, right now reality being injected into that nonsense must have been very mm-hmm. man and, and it, and it was, they they chose the, the the weirdest points to make the commercial breaks it wasn't even like you know oh, like no. you know like with TV they like kind of insert the commercial breaks at a, a logical point. This shit would happen in the middle of a conversation. And you they, just, do, they just, do commercial breaks like podcasts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They just, they just it slap was, in the middle. It was, so, uh, it was so jarring in the wrong way that like I it was a, it made it more of a slog. It made it really <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna sit through this and I really don't know what's happening anymore. Then I'll have to leave and come home and like there would be it was a lot, but yeah, you basically had the Tubi effect where some of the worst movies we watched yeah. for this podcast are Tubi movies and like basically oh, we're sitting like, there we're sitting I there like it's like prayed for certain commercials because it would be like better than the movies we've been watching. <laughs> it's like I hope they show that one about the Taco Bell special. That would be good. I'd like but, that right now. Yeah, I would like <laughs> to think about food and not this terrible Mike Myers. Alpha. I will say shout out to Amazon for um well fuck Amazon, but shout out to Prime <laughs> Prime's algorithm for at least like not programming the same commercials over. It was like there were different commercials. Okay, that's nice. like, that is nice. So, you know, if the pleasant. best thing you can say about a company is that other comp like you got to see a lot of other companies' commercials, <laughs> then you're not really paying much of a compliment. That just fucking sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't make. Like, oh, I got like, to know about more corporations. There's giant mega corporations. Right, Dick, bro. They're the best. I don't. I don't mean to get too off track, but I the thing I it. hate is when you'll be watching like Hulu or something and it'll be a commercial that's interactive and they're like, hey, Vaughn, do you want us to send this to your iPad? Vaughn's iPad, <laughs> it's on the Wi-Fi network that this commercial is on right now. <laughs> like, like talking okay, directly is- <laughs> to you. Yeah, like it'll be it'll be on the screen. Like, should we send this no. to Vaughn's iPad? No. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and considering how much of the stuff that we, we watch, uh, especially for this show, that we watch high, I don't think I could handle that. I don't think that's a lot of pressure for me. I just, no, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's freaky. It's freaky. That's not okay for me. <laughs> How do we make sense of what happens in this movie? You know, we're dealing with three different missing persons cases. Eric Roberts is Mickey Wolfman, the real estate mogul who goes missing. You've got Owen Wilson is Coy Harlingen, musician turned snitch, I guess is the best way to describe it. 
And then you have Glenn Sharlock, who is a one of the Nazi, the, the Nazi biker guys who you never hear a single line from because the first time you see him, he's dead in the film. So mm-hmm. they solved that, they solved that case real quick. Unfortunately, we don't get the resolution on that that we were hoping for when you know Michael K. Williams, rest in peace, shows up and like says, This guy owes me money. I want you to go find him. Oh, yeah. He was the guy that was on the floor next to Doc. Yeah, that's yeah, Glenn. Char- okay. That's Glenn Sherlock. So like, okay, 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 yeah. This is a very convoluted thing in the sense that like what Jeff's talking about is like what parts you can ignore is that they mm-hmm. don't spend any more time on that subplot. Like, unfortunately, we don't see any more of Michael K. Williams, which I feel like is a waste. But I understand mm-hmm. kind of the nature of the the you know, kind of neo noir genre is they're going to throw these things at you. My, my reference to that is like like the first five minutes of a Simpsons episode. Mm-hmm. Like they'll, mm-hmm. they'll be doing something totally on the side and then it becomes the plot. And like, hey, wait a minute, y'all were just, you know, at Krusty Land or whatever. What happened? <laughs> like that, that plot, that plot yeah. is just to introduce the next plot. It was just to get them to go on the vacation that they were going to go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a, I mean, that's a really good way to describe it because it does feel like there's a few moments like this where just like, Okay, I'm ready to like learn more about this world, and then like, no, we're never gonna see anything else about this again. Gone. So this is this is the trap. This is the trap. In the first time you watch this movie, is that you are trying really hard to figure this shit out, and then the second time <laughs> you watch it, you're like, you know what though? Everything is really lovely and weird, and like people's reactions seem realistic mm-hmm. to what's happening, and it's just a drug hazed week. That you, it's almost like you're remembering what you can from some wild shit, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Well, I guess I guess I have a girlfriend now." (laughs) 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 And like that's just sort of somehow like drug hazes work. Like this isn't this isn't out of the ordinary. The Bigfoot character to me is like a perfect representation of like hollywood cops uh-huh ridiculous mm. yeah constantly believing that everyone is against them but like also taking full advantage of like being around tv and being on tv and like just wanting to live the perfect lifestyle and then this dude this bumbling moron keeps like unraveling wild shit right in front of you your own job the one that you're supposed to do way better than him. And he's like uh. crushing it by being willing to do drugs with weird people. <laughs> That's it. You want to find some like weird people saying some weird ideas, go do a bunch of drugs. You'll find them. Yeah. They'll find you. With Bigfoot. Like what is this guy's fucking problem? Like what is his, what is his issue? Like all cops to hippie dynamics in these types of movies. They're he's wildly jealous of Doc. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment because like my, he's my hooking up with like DAs and he's like going to wild shit and mm-hmm. he's allowed to just do drugs and do whatever he wants and this dude is like bound to duty and honor to be like in the background of a television show. Yeah, Adam Twelve. Right, like the the wildest thing <laughs> he's doing is eating bananas, chocolate covered bananas and shit. Like you know, the best like, yeah. scene in the film. Oh, just every single time he's got a chocolate covered banana, just like one, where is he keeping them? <laughs> he's got them in the car. He's got them on set. <laughs> was and I look, I mean, maybe it's a product of time period. Like, was that like a really popular thing to eat? Because like, I gotta be honest, like Doc is looking at him in the car while he's like really like savoring this chocolate covered banana and just looking at him like he's like a, a total fucking alien. Okay. <laughs> That scene, that specific scene. Yeah, where in the car, yeah. For a full, like, that's a long shot for what we're getting. And his reaction through the whole thing is just like, it's classic Joaquin Phoenix. It's just a wonderful, wonderful view. It's his and eyes being like, that scene. What in the blue fuck are you doing, look? It's just incredible. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I wish I understood it. And like, I mean, it, it really speaks to later when like, you know, and I'm jumping around, but like, fuck it, let's just jump around. Like, why did he eat all of Doc's weed at the end? <laughs> why did I mean, he just like eat all the weed <laughs> off the table? I have. So s- that's that's the other thing. That's the other thing. Uh, I didn't know if that was real or like if that was a hallucination or like it actually happened. Like, I was 
I'm so mm. mind fucked by this movie. Yeah. Now, like, now you're starting to watch it for real though, because that's <laughs> it. What is real and what is not real because this person is on like wild amounts of drugs. Yeah. Mm. So like the way that I watched the movie, like I watched, I watched the first bit of it, like maybe like 45 minutes. And then after a commercial break, I was like, let me just go see. I just want to spoil the movie because if I don't make it through the film, I at least need like to know what the fuck is happening. And one of the first things the guy said was just like early on in the film, you seem like kind of like logging if things were like he, he was kind of being hyper aware of like the paranoia the, uh-huh. the hallucination and shit so and through that i was like oh so he doesn't know what's real or what's fake so right how do we know so like when he when when Doc unreliable did, I mean, narrator yeah when when bigfoot did that like the whole drug eating thing i was just like that's not a normal thing that a person would do i don't think okay he really did that. i have a really weird theory about this and it reads too deeply into the film probably but i thought specifically and i think i told gary this when we watched it i think specifically that like bigfoot wanted to try to kill himself Mm. so he tried to overdose on weed because he doesn't understand how drugs work (laughs) (laughs) which would like if that's true would be the dopest thing ever (laughs) yeah that is fucking amazing i hope that is true like i want to just accept that as fact I, we can just accept <laughs> I think I, I'm not going to like look this up or try to figure it out. I think we're just going to say it's that's what it is. I don't think there's a look this up answer. I think because we're not sure of what's real and right. what's not real and what's happening. We just know that like the Bigfoot that we see by that point in the movie and like we've watched him break down over the course of this film. Like and the scene with his, his wife on the phone is just amazing. Like his wife is awesome. Just yes. basically she's like, get the fuck up. <laughs> like, <laughs> a real be a man sort of moment. And it just like, it was just really funny to see that happen. Not it's to an, mention she's emasculating like, moment where you're being told to be a man. <laughs> like she fully already understood what the whole story was when she heard it was him on the phone. Yeah. Like yeah. Drew was talking to her, she was like, oh, that motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, don't even start with this bullshit. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but he goes through this like just pure mania over the course of this film that by the end, it's just like, I totally buy into the idea that if that seed is real, if we're actually seeing something, he thinks this is a, like, a, like with heroin. Like if you do like he's too much go- of it, you will die. He's going to go yeah. sit in his car and put his like badge. You don't get to see it because he's not yeah. important enough for it to happen. Yeah. But he'll like put his badge up on the, on the dashboard and like lay back, like recline his seat and just die as a cop in a car. <laughs> he's going to die. But what's actually going to happen. He's going to go into that fucking glove compartment of his and eat like 30 fucking chocolate covered bananas. That's a hundred percent. He has a, he has a refrigerated glove compartment. <laughs> he's gonna show up at wherever you get those things just like gun in hand just be like i want all of them all of them all of them i don't think you heard what i said all of your eggs and bacon is there anything yeah, exactly exactly very ron swanson there absolutely Martin Short's character is like, we need a full film of that character by P.T. Anderson in his own drug haze. Martin Short is a genius. He yeah. is. Mm. That is the point. Dr. Rudy Blatnoy, DDS. That is the point where I realized in the midst of my, again, being pretty high watching this, oh, this is a comedy. Yes. Because yeah, right, I, right, right. I'm supposed to laugh at shit. He shows up with this like Benny Hill routine, a full chasing clown. skirt around the desk, like <laughs> this sex crazed druggy dentist, like just one of the best things I've ever seen Martin Short in. And like that, that says a lot given his career. Yeah, the performance, <laughs> what they made him do, and how he did it, it's just and it, it he stole the show for the brief comet's tale that we got. You know, he was incredible. I thought. Jeff, is he your favorite character in the film? Oh, most definitely. It's not okay. close. Guys, what about you guys? What are, you, what are your thoughts on, on on favorite character in the film? I, I, I still say my favorite is the narrator. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was Just what I was going to say, for, is that that's number two, two and then and then uh, Bigfoot. Yeah, I was going to say, I like I enjoy Bigfoot, mainly just because oh. he was just such an odd person. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Doc's character 
was odd, but his like I understood him. He's just a drug addict. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like like fucking Bigfoot is just like what 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 is what makes you you like why the fuck are you like this? <laughs> <laughs> the more we learn about Big, I'm, we're getting right back into it. Is that good? It gets, it's you, a great performance. The more you learn about the character, the more you're like, ah, oh, this dude is like a total weirdo. Yeah, he was weird. He was the weirdest person in the film for me. Yeah. Like Absolutely. hands down. Oh yeah, and it was a pretty weird. And then the wife reveal is just like a masterstroke, right? Of <laughs> filmmaking, where you're just like it all, like everything falls into place now. That he wants to be the freewheeling, skirt chasing drug dude that goes to parties. He wants it so bad, and what he He's has obsessed with it is everywhere yeah. he turns, there's a big set of rules sitting right in his face. Right, like, remember the- These are screaming, no rules. That's what they're screaming in the film to me. Mm-hmm. Remember the scene where like his son pours him a drink? Like it was just the wildest shit happening in his house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just, That's right. Like not even, his son was like, he didn't even ask him. His son just like grabbed the bottle and poured him a drink. He just knew, he like, knew what to do. Yeah. What? <laughs> I oh I God. loved this movie. I don't know how yeah. you guys thought. I really like honestly, honestly, oh. this conversation is making me realize that I actually did kind of enjoy it because again, there were so many things like that kind of inhibited my like like the just like the getting the getting into the flow of the film. Right. That it made it it made it made me kind of like, well, maybe I don't like this movie. Maybe I don't know if I like it, but I I definitely I'm like thinking about parts like, oh, that was good. That was so kind I, of a good part. There's this weird sort of energy to this film that like what is supposed to matter in a film doesn't matter (laughs) you know what i mean we talked about a little bit earlier because of the technical stuff but because this movie looks incredible yeah like it's just a beautifully shot piece of art every single scene even if what's happening is wildly disturbing and i don't want to see it which does happen a couple times the way that it looks you can't take your eyes off of it like yeah. the scene where here where they're inside of this guy's tie room, his tie closet. Oh yeah, yeah. See? And like there's a very oh, obvious God. kind of dumb cliche sort of sexy Latina maid thing going on. Yeah, loose. Yeah. That I yeah, loses character who like is described by Joanna Newsom at the same time as like, what if she is not this person, but she's very obviously like being that person. Does that make sense? Yeah. But like the ties are so wildly, like this guy gets a tie made of every time he's had sex. <laughs> that is what we're learning. Is that everyone he has sex with, he gets a tie made of them. He's a, a fucking lunatic. And, then, and like, they're we... and they're like cool looking, and like the whole sh- shot is like incredible. And he's totally ignoring this like stereotypical come on from the maid. And is like looking for a tie with his ex on it, right? And then we'll then fast, which will solve nothing. Then fast forward to the scene where we actually are introduced to do it, and he just has like a tie rolled up that falls. Like it's just like, (laughs) I mean, like it looks incredible, and the haze. Like I don't know if I've seen a more purposefully psychedelic film that doesn't have to like use lightning flashes and crazy colors you know yeah it doesn't, it doesn't go over the top with it it's not like no. it's not trying to slap you in the face with it no yeah. and like the the drugs that they do they do them the amount that you need to do them to be that high it's not hollywoodized so we've been doing these stoner comedies and hollywood has a way of like even with cheech and chong which is just a movie about two dudes smoking joints and and going going nuts they have the like gigantic joints, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like this sort of, they, they did so much that someone overdosed or like they get the gigantic, yeah. Or like gigantic <laughs> bags, they're buying like gigantic bags of weed, like big shopping carts full of weed. You're like, all of them have this exaggerated drug use to make you understand there are people doing drugs. But this dude like smokes cigarettes just as much as he smokes joints. Because you don't yeah. need to smoke seven joints to get high. You smoke one and you're high. Yeah. If you smoke seven joints, you're just really, really like weed. The taste of weed. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not getting any higher, bro. So I thought that it was like, in a way, kind of the perfect psychedelic film. 
like it treated drugs like they were part of the plot, but not the entire reason people were acting. I said that I, I did not, I, I didn't look, like, see, again, like Don was saying, it's making you realize you, you liked it more. It's making me want to go back and like notice, notice things that I didn't necessarily notice, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I met a Especially wild that. I've seen it twice. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I focused on all that stuff the second time. First time mm-hmm. I was with Don, I was like, what in blue hell? I went and saw it with <laughs> film people. We were all working at the Strand and we got off work and we went and saw it at the theater. And we were just like perplexed. Everybody walked out of that movie and was like, okay, so did this person, but like also did anything like this? And you know, this second time I was kind of scared we were all gonna hate it because it's so wild. But I was like, oh, this is just like a bunch of jokes. There's a part towards the end where they're walking on the beach and yeah. he says like, what is in, she says, what is inherent vice? Someone says, what is inherent vice? And the reply is, I have no idea or something. And I was just like, yes, the movie's <laughs> summed up. Gary and I, I were texting about that. Yes, <laughs> I was gonna bring that up too. That's awesome. That's exactly like, the point of the movie where I was like, okay, now I get it. I see what you're doing. Yeah, like, so, like, again, like, I've been, I, I think I texted Vaughn. I was texting a couple people, like, you know, this movie is so fucking dumb. This movie is confusing. This movie is blah, blah, blah. But, like you were saying, like, it, as much as I, I like, kind of wanted it to be over, because, again, like, you got to remember, the commercial breaks sure. really fucked up the movie. But as much as I was like, God, if I, I just I just need this thing to end, I also was really enjoying looking at it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it yes. was... It was like, okay, there is something there. So I, I want to go back. I want to watch it again with no commercial breaks. If I can figure out how to do that. <laughs> if I were to go back to this film, I almost certainly would go back to specifically try to tr- watch this as a comedy. Because like, I, great, I, I think I will appreciate it more as a comedy rather than, I think I started thinking about it as like a noir private eye story. And I'm like, think about it as a comedy and just like look for the comic moments. Because like, there's so much physical comedy in this. Like even just when he gets like knocked around by the cops, like trying to head to the station, he gets the he gets basically elbowed and knocked to the ground. When he gets hit by the baseball bat at uh, what was the name of that wonderful place? Um, uh, it's like Pussy Eaters it, Buffet or some shit. Yeah. They, they had, the, they had the, the the Pussy Eater special or something like that. Yes, that yeah. was the special. <laughs> that was the special at. Um, how was it? Chick Planet. Chick Planet was yeah, the Chick Planet. Planet. That's exactly what I was like. Man, it's something way simpler. It's almost like a uh, like an R. Kelly song. Yes. <laughs> oh god. Uh, too soon, man. Too soon. I mean, look, I, I, he uh, wrote the songs. I'm not like yeah. no, they no. Do exist. Fair. I don't listen fair. to them anymore. Sorry, sorry. Like, that's fair definitely an R. Kelly song. Chick Planet. He had Sex Planet at some point. I know he has. He had Sex Planet. Did. Sex zoo. He has sex everything. Sex yeah. kitchen. Sex, sex closet. Was sex train right? So sex train. Like, <laughs> sure. It's just there you go. Ignition you can say anything. Though. You'd be like Ignition sex. I'd be like yeah. yeah. Sex all right. But sex, although sex closet probably is the best of all those. <laughs> there, there's another. There's another aspect of this film that burned my soul. Okay. That was so hard to look at every time it happened. The feet. People had really dirty feet oh. in this film. Like their feet were black on the bottom. And there was like the sex scene where she was rubbing her dirty ass foot on his pants. I was so offended. <laughs> I was so upset by this. Which, I mean, again, I know this is like a, a completely personal thing. No, it's not like- No, no, go there. <laughs> I'm like, if you don't get, like again, like it was like her foot was black on the bottom. His, his pants were like tan. So I'm like, yo, this is gross. It was, it was very gross. like uh it was a little over the top. It was very like emblematic or emblematic of like being a hippie. It was and Joaquin yeah. Phoenix, Phoenix of like his feet would be showers in this film. His shit would just be <laughs> black. Like I was like, yo, this is wild. Uh, this is definitely not <laughs> some shit that, right. <laughs> that I'm used to. But no, they deserve each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. God. But I think it's also meant to be comedy is this kind of stereotypical idea of a dirty hippie that gets brought up a lot like these hippies are literally fucking dirty they're dirty people yeah (laughs) and and the best way to determine if someone is is truly dirty i think is just like if you look at their feet and the bottom bottom, of their feet look like that it's like yes, <laughs> they look like shoes. It's like the, the, got shoes. It's on. like it's, yeah, like it's not like you didn't wear footwear in this movie. Like there was footwear, but those feet still look like that. 
Oof. I'm sorry, man. I don't I don't think that's possible <laughs> unless you are a dirty fucking hippie. But like this, there's so many shit, things like that. Like it's just like the scene, and we didn't talk about uh Sancho Smilex, which is Benicio del Toro's character, this which is actually oh, yes. my favorite character in the film, probably oh, because shit. of my probably because of my affection for um for him in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I, I felt like this was an extension of that performance in a way. This so that movie does the thing that we were talking about earlier, which is like way exaggerates yes the drug usage which like makes sense because those dudes really did do a lot of drugs i'm sure yeah and your director is terry gilliam who's gonna right play exactly. that shit it's up. like way over the top there's like tails mm-hmm. put on people and like it's very hallucinatory whereas this was psychedelic it was different yeah so but but him being a lawyer for the sea a nutty drug addict is you know an obvious nod to the film you casted him intentionally for that and right. so like i loved every scene where it was the two of them together yes whether they were like scouting the boat from the uh frissy from the shore or like the restaurant scene where they make this ridiculous food order just like just the most oh my god disgustingly <laughs> wrong-headed order of all time. <laughs> you're just like <laughs> something you would never tempura like his tempura and the waitress <laughs> the waitress is sitting there taking their their nightmarish order and she says i i wrote this down because this was a line i had to keep in there which like she goes and to drink gentlemen you're gonna want to get good and fucked up before this meal <laughs> <laughs> that's where i don't watch the comedy i'm like that scene is fucking funny yeah. oh i was dying at all of those scenes once you like divorce yourself from plot You'll you'll die. Like Reese Witherspoon is awesome in this movie. She's really good. She's always great. But yeah, Yeah, love Everybody in this film comes in and delivers. Hundred percent. It's obvious that none of them matter or seem to care to matter. (laughs) (laughs) None of them matter. I love it. They don't. Did he say he wanted to like the the anchovy loaf? Yes. And, and beer batter or something like that. Yes, beer battered anchovy loaf. And there was some sort of tempered thing that oh. I forget what it was. It was just like I, I like if you if you if you pay attention to the order itself, you're like, this is disgusting. Sounds awful. This is just can't be a menu. And I, and I feel like again, that's where I feel like I'm watching sketch comedy at that point. Yeah. Right. There's the very disturbing scene where we meet Owen Wilson's wife for the first time when she's basically hiring Doc to uh, to find her husband. And like, you know, she's just kind of, uh, lack of a better term, kind of a born again. third missing person case at that point? Yeah, she's a born again, yeah. And she's, yeah. it's her third, I think, at that point. And she's okay. like this born again junkie type. And like, she talks about basically how they met and tells this disgusting story of like her needing to throw up and running into the stall and there's Owen Wilson's character taking a shit. And she's like, I had I can't control myself. I have to puke all over his lap. And then also noticing that he has a heart on, and then yada yada yadas that yeah. scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're now we're now we're now we're a couple. <laughs> and yeah. like, and like, now we're here. And so that was the start of the relationship. If any of those things happened <laughs> in your life with somebody, it would not be yada 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 into. A relationship. I really like, love the juxtaposition of her version of this, and then like you go and talk to Owen Wilson. He's like, "Yeah, we were really bad for each other." Like he doesn't go into <laughs> Jesus. Like, let me start you out with how it began, and then you don't need to know the second part. Like, yeah, this is all you need. <laughs> and he's like, "Ah, oh, we're really bad for each other, but I love her, and I really want to see her, but I don't know." And she's just like, "Just find this dude. Find this dude. Like, I don't want to have to throw up on another person to get them to love me." We have a love connection. And then like <laughs> they start talking about like they, they it gets dark, the dark humor in this where like it talks about the baby and like how the baby was basically getting, you know, heroin was coming through the breast milk. And like she shows him a picture. And I mean, his reaction to that is totally inappropriate, but pure fucking comedy. Oh, the, the scream. The scream that comes yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, that, I, that was a show how do you stopper. even talk about that specific scene it's just like, like 
Ah! All you can do is describe it. You can just describe what happened and then be like, well, let's talk about brighter times. Oh man, what a scene oh that God. was. Yeah, see, I, I definitely have to give this another another go through to like really sink in. That happens a lot with with PTA's films. If you don't yeah. like them, obviously, you know, don't watch this one because I know. See, this was the one that like I just had the hardest time like mm-hmm. getting into and really following, but normally i like i fall right in like i said it took me so long to see there will be blood because i just didn't think i'd like it but then i just i fell right into it you know gary was similar with this film he said he didn't didn't think he was gonna like it mostly because of the book yeah that was my Uh, which like you know i've read a whole lot of weird experimental fiction in my lifetime uh pension's my least favorite and it's not close i hate that Mm -hmm. and one time very 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 quick story about pension I noticed at one point in my college town that for some reason, this dollar store near my house, uh, they would get like books, mostly like shitty mysteries that nobody wanted to read. And they'd end up at the dollar store. For some reason, this gigantic book, Mason and Dixon, it was called by pension. Mm -hmm. There were like 15 copies of this book that came into the dollar store for whatever reason. So I bought one and I told a whole bunch of people in the English department that I was going to school with about it. And they all went and bought them. And one day I was walking home and out of the neighbor's house, I see a burning copy of Mason and Dixon fly (laughs) out into the yard from the top floor of the house from upstairs. And it just lands on the grass, like, you know, 35 feet away from me. And I was like, yep, fuck that book. Just kept walking. I got like a hundred pages into that thing and was like, what's wrong with me? Why do I care at all about this nonsense? Oh, that is a movie scene right there. Yeah, the, the burning brilliant. book flying out the window is amazing. Smoldering <laughs> as I'm walking out, there's smoke rising. Up. They like burned it for a long time to make sure it was burning when it came out of the window. Kill it with fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about all of them. I read V and I tried Gravity's Rainbow. I was like, what? People just kept telling me, like, no, you don't get it. And I'm like, no, I think I've read other experimental fiction and, like, I cared about it. And I don't no. care about this. Nobody and should read Gravity's Rambo. When I saw this was coming out, I had the same reaction as Gary, which was like, oh, really? The guy's like my favorite. I love P.T. Anderson. Don't do this to us. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I forced myself to go because well, I'm such a fan and I really like I, So. And you, you said you read the book or you didn't read the book. This particular one, I didn't try. I tried okay, okay. to read it and failed. I, I had to give up on it. I was going to say, as a, as a fan of uh, P.T. Anderson's work, would you say that this is, like, where would you say this ranks in terms of, in terms of an adaptation? Not necessarily, like, what's your favorite, your favorite work. Like, just in terms of, like, a true-to-form adaptation of a book to a film and, like, its success in doing so. Would you say it ranks high in his work, or would you say it's like kind of like, if you're new to his work, would you recommend would you recommend it to anybody or something? I mean, I certainly wouldn't pick this as the first uh, of any one of P.T. Anderson's movies to watch because it's it is advanced. it's it's de- it's a dense film. Like it's just like yeah. obviously the way we're talking about it, like the fact that we're all having four of us sit down to talk about it and we're like gaining things from this conversation is because a lot happens in it and it's hard to keep up. The perfect thing to start with, and it's, I think, one of his best, is, is, is Punch Drunk Love, it's which is, great, it's like, Punch Drunk Love, yeah. Like, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story of a sad sack who wins in the end. And it's like, mm-hmm. you watch this thing happen. And it's, it's to me, it's, a, it's, I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan. You know, we started this podcast and the first thing we watched was UB Halloween. Like, we mm-hmm. are, I'm a big Sandler fan. And I remember that, realizing when i watched punch drug love for the first time was like oh this is a perfect adam sandler comedy he's playing the characters that you saw him play on snl you the, mm-hmm. the like extreme like jumps from for you know and even like billy madison even the earliest stuff of, of his film is like it, the jumps from oh i'm uh i'm kind of mild-mannered to just like shut up like that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff it's yeah. kind of like the I would compare it to like you know, if if on SNL he's uh, like the '70s Batman versus mm. like Nolan Batman is what that is like. He's like this is the dark, yes. realistic day to day. 
yeah, like if you gave if you gave so well done. the Adam Sandler character stakes. There's never like yeah. real stakes in any of those. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. So like you're like, oh yo, what if it's like life and death and things are crazy and it like you're slowly going mad and this person could save your life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was like perfect casting. That yeah. And that's I think what Paul Thomas Anderson does really well is he knows how to cast these films incredibly well. Like we're talking about these performances and there's stuff that like, I mean, I, I was pained by some of the like things that we didn't get enough of. Like Maya Rudolph as the office assistant, Petunia, yes. like she barely mm-hmm. gets any lines. Right, like, right, yeah. It's like, I want to watch that movie. I want to watch a movie where she is <laughs> so prominently featured. And like, like a fleshed out universe. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's part of what kept me like locked in too is because you would just get these bursts where I'm like, wait, what? She's in this? She and like again, right. I, I just I would be in it for that moment, and I would for, like I would just forget that she was in it. Like it, it wasn't like a I was waiting for the people to come back, but I was just more or less waiting for okay, who else is in this thing? Who else is gonna pop up? Because clearly, it's like the the cast is just fucking star studded jam packed. It, it is fantastic. Yeah, one of my favorite performances in the film, towards the end after the uh the very uh, grisly scene um with the with the nazi and then shooting the, the the loan shark when you get to he has the heroin and he wants to trade it back to the golden fang mm. he sits down with the father of the girl who again now we're talking about how many character levels we're getting it's here like the father of the girl who martin short dentist was corrupting at the time mm-hmm. so this guy's character crocker fenway was his girl. name yeah so crocker fenway being the father like that that scene is one of like it just like just brilliant casting because he sits there and he deadpans lines like this like how about when he forced my little girl to listen to original cast albums of broadway musicals <laughs> while he had her way with him <laughs> or the tastelessness of the decor of the resort hotel rooms he took her to during endodontist conventions like that is fucking funny that is but it's delivered (laughs) so deadpan it's like this is a guy who can do the serious role who can chew the scenery if you want him to and he's just there like okay i'm gonna just deliver this like just so straight on that like if you're not paying attention to the words i'm saying you don't realize that actually this is funny and ominous we talked about (laughs) earlier the sort of levels of homage yeah and like for a long long time uh pta was sort of uh we're, we're boys i can call him pta, um, <laughs> PTA. the homie the homie yeah, yeah the homie you know the guy uh he he was like righteously compared and worked with in the past uh robert altman sure a ton of people were constantly sort of you know pegging him as the new Altman. And mm-hmm. to me, it was off base, uh, having seen a lot of both of their films. Um, but like, I'm actually not this familiar film, by name. It's all good. Uh, but this film, to me, was the most Altman of all of them. This is like long goodbye, like Philip Marlowe stuff, basically. Totally. Yeah. This was like, he had been hearing for years how much like this director he was and was like, okay, fine. Here's what it would be like if I was trying to do that. If I wanted I to emulate Altman. Yeah, this is what it would be, but it's not that. Yeah, the other stuff isn't that. Have a good one, everybody. If I wanted to do that sort of film, I would do this sort of the same way. Like, I feel like one of the biggest criticisms was he can't do films that are just like normal, that normal people will want to see. He'll always Mm -hmm. be an indie director. Then he comes out with Punch Drunk Love, and he's like, "It's a rom com. Go to hell. Go to hell. Yeah. How dare you." I can make real films. I feel I just like making these arty, crazy things. And I feel like, like with like with like what you guys do musically, like I'm sure you've probably read some really poorly reviews over the years that like compare you to something that you're like, we don't sound anything like that, right? You know, yeah. Like 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 oh, it's like this record. I'm like, have you listened to this record? Have you listened to our record? And I feel like <laughs> this movie is kind of like the equivalent of being like, you know what? We're gonna make a record that sounds like that. Like that's a challenge now. We're gonna make a record that sounds like that thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, is, is this what you think? Well, let me let me try that. And then it's like I always I always chalk that up too. Just like, okay, we are clearly whatever you're hearing, I don't hear that. We're listening to the same thing. Right. But it's just um I chalk that up to your point of reference. 
versus my point of reference or what you think my point of reference should be. Yeah, like yeah, like like a forced perspective. Like I, I would say that the alcoholics and the beat nuts are probably more akin to what some of the stuff we do is than a lot of the groups that people link us to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if you if you want to like make a reference, no, sure. But a lot of times, a lot of times people just kind of go for the more obvious thing. I think probably in some like early reviews, you guys probably got hung, people got hung up on the okay player connection and yeah, probably just yeah, lumped you in with like everything OKP. Like that's yeah, pretty much. And you're like, pretty that's much. if you listen, if like if you listen to that album, it's it's not the same thing as like it's like, right. At the end of the day, like it's like it's a weird thing to start lumping it in like as a scene, like or even like like, oh, that's backpack. And it's like, well, at that point, like what's yeah, what's, back, what's backpack actually? Like it's all a point of reference and and like uh, what you got from another thing. Like, okay, you because when you say like, oh, they feel like it's it's artsy, my int- my introduction probably was Boogie Nights. And I didn't feel like that was like a artsy fartsy movie or like art house right. or anything. I just thought it was a creatively done story. Right. I, it wasn't I, like it doesn't stick to like the you know the the easy the easy tricks or whatever you want to call them. Right. Like I thought it was quirky more than anything. But you know what I'm saying? It was quirky in a way that like it wasn't inaccessible and it wasn't like like it wasn't it didn't take a lot to figure out what was going on it was just you know what i'm saying boogie nights it was actually creative sure. yeah versus this movie where we have no idea what's going on exactly <laughs> yeah, like you spend, yeah. you spend you know, most of the film trying to reconcile what you just saw you know the, the truth one, is i like the challenge though because I, 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 totally. I, I really i literally may watch this again once we get off i think i'm just going to watch this again Right on. That's great. Once <laughs> I'm, once I'm in this, for the challenge. <laughs> one of the coolest parts of this is the the weird amount of information he uncovers about Golden Fang. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Where like he's not he's sort of looked at and viewed upon by anybody who's outside of the hippie, like the people who are in the establishment, Reese Witherspoon, Bigfoot. They kind of talk down to him and treat him like a bumbling moron and just dis- very dismissive language toward him, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then when he's confronted with this thing, he like blows the lid off of a large, a vast conspiracy. And like anybody who blows the lid off of a vast conspiracy runs into the idea that like most people don't give a shit about it. Yeah, like at the end of the day- <laughs> they just like- don't, they're like, yeah, man, we kind of knew that already. That, like, like mm-hmm. there are weird camps where they take people to like make them more, attributable to the system yeah it happens it, everywhere it's happens wild everywhere. it's wild important too because like <laughs> you know we're we're dealing with this with this, this weird set of circumstances that all comes together and at the end of the day like it's like if you were right if this was a regular like mystery novel or kind of a noirish you know mm-hmm. uh adaptation like you would know at the end what the golden fang was and i don't think i know what the golden fang is still you are they watching. are they an international heroin smuggling ring? Are they a sex cruise? Yes. Are they? <laughs> yes. All of it. Yes. 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 Powerful cult. And the answer to all these questions seems to be yes, but it's like yes. okay, but what aren't they? They basically point. are a corporation of evil doing, as Just seen like, in that you know, as seen in that era. Under yeah. that Illuminati umbrella, like, oh, this is this is the right. big bad. It's an LA thing. There's a whole bunch of these like cultish. I mean, not that it doesn't happen everywhere, but like, yeah, LA sort of known for this cultish Hollywood weird thing where like people, like, there are large organizations that run a lot of weird stuff, and people are like cultishly into them. Yeah, and I mean, big, big bad or powerful. I think the big reveal came in this movie. It came and he's like there and finds out that these people are being like brainwashed basically. And then at that institute, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the institute, that's like a huge find for like a bumbling PI. And like the <laughs> basic response from anyone he's talked to about it is just like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like so it, it plays into this weird thing where this movie doesn't, it tells you what like you glom what you want onto what is important does that make sense yeah plot. yeah but like this seems really important to me and then it's immediately dismissed in every way 
it's wild because how many yeah, times right. do they reference like the Manson case right. in this? Like in the timeline of, of what happened in reality, like this movie takes place in 1970. The Tate LaBianca murders happened in 1969. So uh, one thing August. it captures really beautifully is the like establishment versus the hippie thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Went completely wild and fervent post Manson. Yeah. It was like they killed a few of us. So we are going to terrorize and haunt every one of them. Yeah. And that was like really baked into this film pretty well, I thought. To me, it did kind of have a bit of that, like, like you you said, the Manson uh, murders. It did kind of remind me just as far like you're kind of just hanging out. Like they they say that about Once Upon a Time in uh, in Hollywood. You're just kind of hanging out with the character and just doing stuff. And that's that's another way how I took it in, you know, on this on watching it for for this uh, episode. I was like, oh, I guess it's kind of like we're kind of like just we're kicking it with Doc in a way. Yeah, and shit's yeah. happening to him. That's it. Yeah, I mean that that's absolutely it. And at, at the end of the day, the fact that there's no consequences for Golden Fang, they remain a shadowy, massive organization. Totally. The only time we actually see a true representative of it, it's a upper middle class white suburban family like who collect the heroin at the end of the movie yeah <laughs> you're just sitting in the kitchen this movie has its flaws one of them is not showing how crazy people like white people are in la <laughs> it goes full bore on crazy white people in LA. <laughs> and it crushes it by the end of the film when that scene happens where like the little girl is mouthing off to him the daughter is mouthing off to him in the heroin dr- exchange. It's just like, I'm like, wait, is she the golden fang? She might be the golden fang, My man. kid might be the golden fang. I don't know anymore. Who knows? Podcast Network.